I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Chris Trapasso here. Welcome in to another episode of the Prospect Podcast. Because we are in the thick of the true offseason for the NFL, many camps are over, players are on vacation, relaxing with their families, maybe some guys are training here and there, but we're about a month away, a little more than a month, from the start of training camp, want to go completely off the reservation. And I think it is important when you are theorizing about the NFL its future, what will make sense in the future, what won't make sense in the future, how to evolve as a thinker. It's good to push forward with an idea that even in your own head, you're wondering, is this crazy? And this is a theory that I've had over the last couple of seasons. It revolves around the quarterback position, and this is what I'm going to talk about today, of course. It revolves around the quarterback spot and that we all know and understand that the quarterback position is the most valuable position on the field. And we are about to see once the salary cap kind of readjusts itself heading into 2022, it's going to be $208 million, a little more than that. And then it's going to really, I think, skyrocket even more because of the new TV deal that's going to kick in. That we're going to see quarterbacks, I mean, right now, Patrick Mahomes, and I'm not the biggest proponent of looking at contracts by average per year because the guaranteed money is what matters more than anything else. But the easiest way to do it uh, for the sake of this podcast is to look at the average per year. Right now, Patrick Mahomes, $45 million per year. And of course, his cap hit last year wasn't crazy, and it doesn't get to any huge cap numbers until the next couple seasons. Dak Prescott, $40 million per year. Deshaun Watson, $39 million. Russell Wilson, $35 million. So some of these other quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen, chief among them, are in line, and maybe even Baker Mayfield, are in line to be right up there in between $35 and $45 million per year, if not more. I mean, if Midway through this season, if the Bills don't lock up Josh Allen before the year begins, and I think it would behoove them to do that, if it's the midway point of the season and the Bills are 7-1 and one and Josh Allen is the front runner for the MVP, he could say, I want $50 million per year, which is pretty crazy. Like me being from the Buffalo area, if you're making $50 million per year and living in Buffalo, you can pretty much do whatever you want. I guess it's probably true if he's making $20 million too, but just not the same as living in New York City or L.A., I guess. But anyway, with that thought, okay, the value of quarterbacks is insanely high, and that is being shown by their huge contracts that they're getting, and that we have so many high-profile young quarterbacks, Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, of course, even Zach Wilson, Trey Lance. Justin Fields, like, what is it going to be when their rookie deals are up? How much are they going to be able to command? So I think in general, 
their contracts have somewhat aligned with the inflation of the salary cap. But with everything that happened with COVID, we know that the league was operating and and will this year at a salary cap that was actually decreased after it was almost going up 10 to 12 million every single season since like the early 2010s. That teams, it, it wouldn't be crazy. And I'll admit there's some crazy to this, but I don't think it's completely crazy for a team at some point over the next couple of years to say, you know what? We understand how important the quarterback position is. But we've also seen during this time when salaries for the quarterbacks have gone through the roof and maybe they've increased a little bit more in terms of being relative to the salary cap, especially now that the salary cap has to recoup or has to be recouped over the next couple of seasons. So what we're going to do is we're not going to pay our quarterback 45, 50, $55 million per season to take that large chunk of our salary cap. What we have seen during this time where those salaries have really inflated is the value of other positions have also gotten more valuable. Wide receiver, offensive line. I think wide receiver more than anything. That is a position that has gotten way more valuable really even over the last five years. The amount of talent that comes into the NFL every single draft is insane. We've had like this best ever draft class like three years in a row. And I don't think we're going to see that come to a screeching halt. I mean, we'll see what ultimately happens with the 2022 draft class, but a lot of the best recruits are not playing running back anymore. They're playing receiver. They're not playing corner. They're playing receiver. So the thought is, it's kind of a roundabout way to get to, would it actually be smart for a team in the future to say, we're going to pay our quarterback like 15 to 20 million a year. And this is when the salary cap 2022, 2023 into the 2024 season might be 220, 30, 40, 50 million. And then we're just going to build an absolutely loaded roster, mostly on offense because offense wins in today's NFL and certainly defense too. We're not going to just completely ignore that side of the ball and use all that extra money that we saved that 20 to 30 million that we saved on the quarterback spot and just build a situation that is very conducive to success for a quarterback. And really taking nothing away from Tom Brady last season, what he did at 43 years old, taking that team from being like a 500 ish squad and winning a Super Bowl was remarkable. And he did individually have a very good season, but he didn't just choose the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because Florida has no income tax. He looked at that roster even before any of the other acquisitions happened and said, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, a pretty good offensive line. I'm going to go down there because the situation is very good. 
And Tom Brady knew that maybe they could kind of boost him up a little bit. Not that Tom Brady probably thinks that. I mean, of course, at this point in his career, he's has all the right to believe that he is the guy that can be the savior for probably any organization. But to think that Tom Brady did it all by himself last year is completely wrong. Because then even after having Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, they bring Rob Gronkowski out of retirement. We know how big of a Super Bowl he had. They sign Antonio Brown out of the loony bin. They draft Tristan Wirfs, all pro-ish right tackle. Amazing rookie season blocking. Not that he ultimately was a big contributor, but they signed some running backs, LaShawn McCoy. They signed, they signed Leonard Fournette, who had a good uh, playoffs when they already had Ronald Jones, and they drafted Keyshawn Vaughn. They drafted Tyler Johnson, another receiver, when they already had Scotty Miller in the slot. So that Tampa Bay Buccaneers team, for as easy as it was to say, look at what Tom Brady did. Yes, he was a driving force in that Super Bowl win. But kind of felt like, man, as long as someone wasn't throwing 30 interceptions on that team, like Jameis Winston did the season before, they were going to be really good. And, of course, they were strong on defense, too, especially up front. And the secondary was solid. The linebackers were good. It's a really, really good roster. And what's ironic, and this is kind of where this thought can be looked at as a real-life example, Tom Brady's average per year is only $25 million right now. That's the – it's like outside the top 10 in terms of average per year at the quarterback spot. So for as much as if Josh Allen has a big season, if Baker Mayfield has a big season, if Lamar Jackson, or maybe all of them do, maybe two of them, maybe just one, every bit of analysis will be centered around the idea of, man, he deserves $50 million. And maybe he does just looking at the market. But I wonder if, and I'm going to use like two players, a relatively young guy and then an older guy. Imagine if this, like in 2022, or 2023, say Daniel Jones will be in his mid to late 20s at that point, has a decent season with the Giants this year. They added a lot of pieces around him. I think he actually will have a pretty good year. But say he doesn't have a, a, a great season, but it's established that Daniel Jones is a serviceable starting quarterback in the NFL. He's not high level. He's not bottom of the league, he kind of becomes the new, say, Andy Dalton. The Giants don't extend him. He gets to his fifth, uh, his fourth year of his rookie contract. They don't pick up the fifth-year option. Then he's set free. If you can convince him and say, hey, look, you haven't been great, but you haven't been bad, and now the salary cap in 2023 or 2024 is – million offer someone like Daniel Jones. And I'm just using him as an example, just someone of that caliber, whoever you think that could be like a contract that's worth 15 to 20 something million per season. Cause right now there's a big gap. Ben Roethlisberger, 14 million per season. He's on like that last year of that contract with the Steelers, Teddy Bridgewater, 11 and a half million. And then there's no one really in the 15 to $24 million range. It's Tom Brady at $25 million. Derek Carr just over $25 million 
per season. Matt Stafford with the Rams, 27 million. Jimmy G, 27.5 million. So at that point, you know, you factor in inflation, some newer deals that are going to drive the market for quarterbacks up a little bit and say, hey, Daniel Jones, we're going to offer you $20 million per season. Less than 10% of our salary cap. And then you can really build around him. You can get him anything that your roster needs. And obviously, this wouldn't be a situation where you're starting an expansion franchise, but you already have some solid players on your team, but you maybe need receiver help. You can go out and sign the 25 year old receiver that's finishing his rookie contract and give him a a big deal like Allen Robinson in free agency with the Chicago bears, or uh, if Chris Godwin hits the free agent market or any of these younger guys, maybe DJ Chark at that point, or, you know, a lot of these younger court or wide receivers that look to be in line for a big deal, but are still relatively young. Cause we are projecting this forward. Give him a really good offensive line like completely stock the shelves at the offensive skill positions, especially receiver and tight end. And really, if you just want to do receiver, that's fine. Give him a very good offensive line. You'll have some pieces, but then you say, Hey man, we need a really good right tackle and left guard. So you have the money, you have the extra 25 to $30 million on one year of your cap, and then it'll extend out and get cheaper for you in the future as the salary cap increases to add those pieces to the roster. I'm just waiting for a team to ultimately do that. And like looking ahead to some of these receivers that could be available in a couple of years. And this is, I get projecting forward two and three years in the NFL is a little bit ridiculous because the league turns over so quickly but like Justin Jefferson feels like he's not going to go anywhere, but he could, it's not completely out of the question. Uh, say Henry Ruggs has a big second season and looks to be that next speedster down the field, but the Raiders can't afford him. You can sign Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, Debo Samuel, AJ Brown, those types, or maybe even guys who just came into to the NFL this year in the draft that, three, four years from now, they are wanting to be on a new team and the, the team that drafted them cannot afford them. I just think that to ultimately believe that we will always have quarterbacks making 20 to 30% of the salary cap because it's the most important position on the field when we've seen that a lot of the really good quarterbacks have very much taken off in amazing situations with good wide receivers and not just one or two, but like three or four and a good offensive line that we can't assume that we should be, that the NFL should be paying quarterbacks as much as they are projected to be making into the future. And I do think that it has gotten to the point and it will continue to get to the point where if these quarterbacks start reaching 50, $55 million per season, the salary cap isn't increasing that much where the quarterback money will be 
taking up so much of a, a higher percentage of a team's salary cap that it'll make it difficult to be able to field a Super Bowl caliber roster unless you're the best drafting team in the NFL. And we know there's really no such thing as the best drafting team in the NFL. There's no history that points to one GM or one team that it's, it fluctuates. So sure, you could hit a lucky stretch where you scout really well and you make the right decisions on draft weekend, and that's coincided with your quarterback making $48 million per season, and you could win a Super Bowl. But that's a pretty big roll of the dice. You could also strike out with a lot of those draft picks, and then you have a really good quarterback who's being damaged, who's not being developed, and who's not reaching his full potential in the prime of his career in his mid to late 20s because you don't have the money to give even mid-level or enough mid-level free agents and definitely not the big high-end free agents the money that they are demanding in free agency. I just think the wide receiver position and up front on the offensive line are sneaky, extremely valuable positions in today's NFL. I mean, look at what, and this is going to come off as the podcast, you know, taking things away from really good quarterbacks. I think it's easy to see, of course, that Patrick Mahomes is a more talented quarterback, is a better quarterback than Alex Smith from what he's done with that Chiefs offense after taking over. But we have to remember, and I think a lot of people have kind of forgotten, that before Patrick Mahomes became the starting quarterback, the Chiefs went 10 and 6 in 2017 with a mid. 30s Alex Smith super duper conservative Alex Smith but with Andy Reid and with Tyreek Hill rookie or second season Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey Kareem Hunt a good offensive line solid defense and the year before that they went 12 and 4 and they were I mean both times I think this was probably part of the reason why they wanted that next step quarterback so they lost in their first playoff game in the wild card round in 2017, 2018, and then 2016, 2017, they lost in the division round after getting a bye. Year before that with Alex Smith, 11 and five. And they did get to, to the division round. They were just having problems in the playoffs. So this is a good roster. And the skill position talent to have two elite level pass catchers in Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, and then an awesome play designer and play caller in Andy Reid, I don't think we can overlook that. We shouldn't. Do I think if Tyree Kill wasn't on the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes would be a terrible quarterback? No. But I think it would be a lot more difficult for him to be throwing 50 touchdowns in his second season, winning the MVP, uh, and being this hyper-efficient passer. Same with Travis Kelsey. He is the best pass-catching, route-running tight end in the NFL. I think there's that elite group of Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, and Darren Waller. They all kind of do some things differently, but Travis Kelsey has been elite for a while. And when you look at the Chiefs and you say, well, okay, they've been able to do it. They've been able to have a quarterback on a big contract 
and retain these players and sign Tyree Kill to a deal and sign Travis Kelsey and bring in other pieces, trade for Orlando Brown and pay him his money. Chris Jones is there disrupting from the middle. How are they able to do it? Well, in 2020, Patrick Mahomes' base salary was $825,000. He had a bonus included in there as part of the contract or signing bonus that he signed in that new deal of $4.5 million, but his cap number was $5.3 million. And guess how much it is in 2021? $45 million, right? No. His cap number is $7.4 million. So by signing Patrick Mahomes to that record-breaking, decade-long contract, they basically like extended the price of his rookie deal out for another season. It's in 2022 when the salary cap number balloons for Patrick Mahomes from $7.4 million in 2021 to $35.7 million. In 2023, it's the highest that it is in the entire contract until 2027, $46.7 million. I'm going to tell you what, it's going to be very difficult for the Chiefs to be able to sign. And at that point, Travis Kelsey's into his mid-30s. Tyree Kill's getting close to 30. But even if they draft well and someone like, say, Miko Hardman really takes off or... Um, they drafted Cornell Powell, the big wide receiver out of Clemson. Say he really becomes a top-level wide receiver, it's going to be tough for them to retain him. And any of the blockers up front, it's going to be difficult when your quarterback's making almost $50 million, regardless of where the cap is, to keep him. I mean, I guess the cap will matter, but we kind of can project where it will be. So... I'm not saying that I think all teams should look for a Daniel Jones and try to pay him $15 million, but it will be interesting to see if that ultimately happens. And I would, I'm presenting that on the record as a next level idea if teams want to build differently, because we do have a lot of young quarterback talent in the NFL. We're seeing a changing of the guard with Drew Brees retiring, Ben Roethlisberger most likely playing his last season. Tom Brady, the ageless wonder, now 44 years old. And a lot of those younger uh, quarterbacks that I referenced earlier, like Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson, um, Justin Herbert, and then this very hyped 2021 draft class, Joe Burrow, last year, Tua, if he turns it around in a big way in Miami this season. A lot of talented quarterbacks, but I still think it is relatively hard to find because the talent level and athleticism and arm talent standard has actually been raised a little bit. Like, I'm not saying that I think uh, all these young quarterbacks are going to rival Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and Drew Brees, like three of the best quarterbacks of all time, and Aaron Rodgers, in terms of just how good they are. But it's hard to find someone that has the skill set similar to Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson or Justin Herbert. So a lot of these teams... For yes, there will be many teams that say, hey, we we have our guy. We like Justin Herbert. We feel good about him. We like Joe Burrow. We feel good that about him as our quarterback and think we can win a Super Bowl with him. But there's always going to be a bunch of teams that either pick the wrong quarterback in the draft or are just in a bad situation quarterback-wise. Or they pick a quarterback who is like 
Daniel Jones that has been right around average to slightly above average and then at times slightly below average. And instead of being completely done with him, say, hey, we'll sign you, but you're not going to make huge money. You can be our starter. We're going to stock the shelves for you. And I think really that's kind of what the Giants did this offseason for Daniel Jones to really figure out what the deal is with him. Just one idea, and I feel like I, I pitched it to my uh, old editor, RJ White, at CBS Sports, who's now running CBS Sportsline and Fantasy. He's awesome. And he listened to it, but he was like, ah, I don't know, quarterbacks are still super valuable. I, I still believe that. I think he's right. But just trying to go outside the box and and talk through and think through what might even be a crazy idea in my own head to think, hey, like 15 years ago, 20 years ago, no one would have thought that the running back position would be completely invaluable or not valuable, I should say. And even 10 years ago, the thought you probably shouldn't pick a running back in the first round would have been considered nuts. We saw that for forever in the NFL. And running back used to be the marquee position on the field 30, 40, 50 years ago. It's now changed to quarterback. And although I do think quarterback is here to stay for a while, maybe all time, the wide receiver position is becoming immensely valuable. I brought up the Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady examples as look at what their roster had for them. Also, what about Josh Allen with the Bills? As the Bill, I mean, he's developed on his own and he's worked on his mechanics in the offseason a great deal. We know the raw talent is there, but we've seen Josh Allen go from starting his career in 2018 first half of the season looked like not even an NFL backup to down the stretch as a rookie looking serviceable. Then as the bills have added better pieces around him and the receiving core was terrible in 2018, Zay Jones, Kelvin Benjamin, Deontay Thompson, a few others, as they built around him, John Brown and Cole Beasley, and then Stefan Diggs, We've seen Josh Allen take off. So I think if you're a wide receiver in today's NFL, you should be banging on the table during a contract talk like, hey, we deserve more money. We understand there's more of us on the field and there's only one quarterback. But looking around the league, a lot of these really good quarterbacks have had their best seasons and have developed a great deal and then ultimately earned those gigantic contracts when they have a really good group around them catching the football. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is kind of the old guard 
but Devontae Adams becoming going from like, yeah, he's pretty good to arguably the best receiver in football. We've seen Aaron Rodgers have a, a late 30s resurgence winning the MVP last season. I think Kirk Cousins is a prime example of this. And the problem, like he almost is the embodiment of what I'm trying to say with this theory, just that the Vikings overpaid for him. I mean, he's still inside the top 10, $33 million average per year. We've seen Kirk Cousins play fluctuate based on almost strictly the talent that he has at the wide receiver spot. And fortunately for him, I mean, he's had Adam Thielen his entire time in Minnesota. He had Diggs and Thielen. Now he has Justin Jefferson and Thielen. But it's just very fascinating to me looking around the league, the best quarterbacks. And sure, it, there is an ebb and a flow to this. Like the quarterbacks help the receivers produce more, but I think the receivers also help the quarterbacks with getting open and breaking tackles and avoiding tackles after the catch, winning contested catch balls. I mean, Deshaun Watson to start his career with DeAndre Hopkins was a huge help to him early on. And actually he, he's kind of an outlier. He's so talented. He had one of his best seasons. He had his best season last year without DeAndre Hopkins. So if anyone has the, the best, uh, argument to make a lot of money and obviously Watson already got his big deal it would probably be in terms of the younger quarterbacks Deshaun Watson you could even take and I was going to say a, a second example if you wanted to go the even cheaper route go with the older quarterback someone like Case Keenum and maybe they'll be I mean Tyrod Taylor's probably in there too but maybe and this is projecting way into the future maybe even Teddy Bridgewater like if someone like Tua or Mac Jones, Marcus Mariota, three, four years from now, four, five, six years from now, if you're talking about Tua, they're not going to command huge money and say quarterbacks are, there's four or five quarterbacks above $40 million, a few above 50. Salary caps, 230, 240, 250. You offer a 20 to $25 million contract. Say, so, yeah, we get it. That's you're the, now the 15th or 16th highest paid quarterback. There's some backups that make more than you, whatever. But we're going to build around you, and we think we can still win games because receivers, their athleticism, and everything that they bring to the field, they're going to make you a really good quarterback, a very efficient quarterback. You're not going to have to throw a lot of tight window passes. You're going to be schemed up. And the receivers are going to be open. And when it's not schemed up perfectly, they can separate, create space for you to throw them the football. You can trust that they're going to come down with 50-50 balls more often than 50%. And I use Case Keenum because I think he's a prime example. And looking at this Vikings team, like a misstep that that organization made. Case Keenum, middle of the road uh, bridge quarterback, solid backup, nothing more than that his entire career. And then, of course, in 2017, as a 29-year-old, Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen, Kyle Rudolph, rookie year Delvin Cook, pretty good offensive line, great defense. He completes almost 68% of his passes. Relatively low volume, only threw for 3,500 yards, which was pretty good in 2017 not a 
amazing. They were a fair share of quarterbacks over that 4,000 mark, 4,000 yard mark. But 7.4 yards per attempt was very good. A 98.3 quarterback rating, which was decently above what the league average was in that season. And the Vikings were in the NFC title game. So, I mean, they got blown up by the Eagles, but they were there with Case Keenum. And then after that, they said, "Mm, you know what? Instead of having super cheap Case Keenum with this great wide receiver group and a good defense, let's pay Kirk Cousins insane money, fully guaranteed. Was three years, $84 million? Was that what it was originally? It just didn't make sense. And, and I think right there is with that in 2017, that was the inception of this deal, of this theory, I should say. It's like they had Case Keenum on this cheap like backup deal, like bridge quarterback deal. Now they're going to pay Case Keenum or pay Kirk Cousins like th- almost $30 million per season at the time, which was like crazy. And fully guaranteed. And then they extend him. Like is Case Keenum, is 2017 Case Keenum that much worse than what we've seen from Kirk Cousins? He's not. He just is not. And I know there was some... Mike Zimmer didn't really like Case Keenum. There's some thought there. And then he they were more enamored with Kirk Cousins, but they're kind of the same quarterback. I mean, Kirk Cousins may be a little more naturally talented, but that proved that if the situation is really good and you have a good play caller, Kevin Stefanski was there, or just even a competent play caller. He does not need to be Andy Reid or Kyle Shanahan or Sean McVay or Kevin Stefanski. Just someone who's competent, that has amazing talent at his disposal. You can get a 2017 Case Keenum type year, and then you have all the money to not dismantle your defense, which the Vikings kind of did after that. So Case Keenum is probably the better example. I use Daniel Jones because I think he could be that next middle of the road quarterback that I think will be labeled as a quarterback purgatory type. But if you give him a good offensive line and three top 25 receivers, which is not crazy to think that can be constructed in today's NFL. And then you have all the money to, to build your pass rush and have uh, a solid secondary, good safeties, quality linebackers that can cover. I think you can, go pretty far with that idea, with that methodology to your team building process. Now, what is interesting to me as an analyst that has no stake in the game, I'm not working for a team. I'm always like, a team should be thinking, how do we win the Super Bowl? But I know having talked to a lot of people around the league that a lot of times like GMs and coaches, they're just kind of like living to see the next season and not lose their job. Like, hey, man, if we go 10 and 7 this year, we'll make the playoffs. We probably won't win a game, but we're going to be retained. And we can figure things out once we get there. If that is how a team is operating, I mean, I think it's a little bit sad that you should be trying to win the Super Bowl every year. I mean, unless you're 
completely rebuilding. But if that's really how teams, how GMs and some coaches operate, and I think it's a fair amount of them that don't have like Bill Belichick-esque job security, it gives more credence to the idea of going the Case Keenum or the Daniel Jones 15 to $25 million per year route at the quarterback spot and saying, hey, we're not going to pay our quarterback insane money. We're going to just build the team around him really good. And the last part that I'll say to this that would be a little branch off of this theory is, say a team, I'll use another example of a young quarterback and a team that just drafted someone relatively early. Let's just use the Dolphins again because I'm not crazy high on Tua going into year two. Say Tua has a solid season, Dolphins, and this is what I think is going to happen. He's going to have a a solid but unspectacular second season. The Dolphins are going to be good, though. They're going to win like 10, 11, 12 games. They're going to make the playoffs as a wild card team. I would not be surprised if they win a wild card game. Probably lose in the divisional round. That's kind of how they feel. So then the Dolphins are like, what do we do with Tua? All right, he he was pretty good. Look at his numbers. Watch the film. The coaches aren't as enamored with what he did individually. Go into 2022, 2023, kind of the same deal. So then they're sitting there at the end of the contract, and they're like, what do we do? The branch off the theory is, say the Dolphins, and say they continue to draft okay. I mean, or let's just assume that they draft relatively well. They keep bringing in young talent. They still have a lot of cap space in the next couple of years. Bring in some free agents, 24, 25, 26-year-olds that are good, that are difference makers, that we know are going to come in and be good free agents. Let Tua leave. Even though you've had success, say they are a team that's in the playoffs for two or three years in a row. They have some success. They win a game or two the next couple of postseasons. But they just know that Tua is not the guy. Maybe you offer Tua. I mean, maybe Tua becomes that middle-of-the-road guy that you use this new theory on and say, hey, you want 20, 22 million when there's some quarterbacks that aren't great above you that are making 30, 35? And maybe he, he takes that and that is what he becomes. Or the quarterback or that team just says, hey, we're going to let you go and we're just going to draft another one. And we know what we've been able to do because we haven't paid a quarterback insane money. We've built a really, really good perennial playoff team. And then we get that even first round pick at the quarterback spot, five, $10 million per season, whatever it's going to be at that point. That's probably around what it would be in terms of yearly cap hits, maybe even a little more than that. We'll pay him. We're, We're okay taking a roll of the dice on another young quarterback because we feel the environment that we've created for him is conducive to a lot of success. And then we buy another three or four years having the most valuable position on the field actually being one of the lower paid players on the team, relatively speaking. So the idea that... and. To use one other quarterback example, I think Baker Mayfield, the Browns are going to be very good. I think they're one of the elite teams in the AFC. But I also, and I wrote this in my next step piece for Baker Mayfield. You can check it out on CBSSports.com recently. I think he's 
kind of similar to a more talented Case Keenum that like he's in this Kevin Stefanski system that is very established as one of the better schemes in the league. He has Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry, David Njoku, Austin Hooper, an elite, probably the best offensive line in football, two really good running backs. The stats are going to be good. But is Baker Mayfield himself doing a ton? No. But I think we aren't to the point where any team has incorporated this philosophy that I'm presenting. So Baker Mayfield, because the team is going to win and his stats are going to be good and the offense is going to be solid. It's going to be a run-heavy offense and a good defense that wins 11, 12, 13 games. He's going to get a big contract. He's going to sign a very big deal. I mean, is it going to be like our Baker Mayfield and his agent going to be able to go to the negotiating table with the Browns and say, we want more than Patrick Mahomes? No. But $35 million up is probably where, I mean, he'll start. He'll say, I want at least $32, $33, $34, 35000000 million. And I just don't know if in the long run, and of course, over the the duration of his deal, like that contract could look better in the future, but we know that these contracts for quarterbacks are not just structured like 33 million one year, 33 million the next year, 33 million the next year. It's like Patrick Mahomes deal cheap at the beginning and then it balloons. So it could be cheaper in the future, but most likely it won't be that in two or three or four seasons, the Browns are like, man, we've been really good, but we're kind of being held back and oh, we can't, we can't retain uh, this young pass rusher or, uh, I mean, trying to project way into the future, someone like Greedy Williams or Grant Delpit, who have become really good secondary players for them. Let's say that ultimately happens because we have Baker on this really, really big deal. And some of our young receivers, say Donovan Peoples-Jones becomes a, a great deep threat or Anthony Schwartz, who they drafted out of Auburn in the third round, a speedster. Oh, we can't really retain both of them. They're both really good. They've done a good job replacing Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry. Um, we can't replace an offensive lineman. That's going to be a, an issue for them if Baker Mayfield's making an insane amount of money. So maybe, I mean, I, I don't, it will not happen. They're going to retain Baker Mayfield, former number one overall pick, uh, who's been the quarterback on now some winning Browns teams. That's, again, where that's kind of the conundrum that I think some teams are going to ultimately face. We're going the cheap quarterback route, give him amazing wide receivers and a good offensive line, be near the top 10 or top seven in the league offensively. And you're going to win double digit games and be in the playoffs when anything can happen. Do not hesitate to leave a comment, to reach out to me on Twitter with your thoughts on this philosophy of paying quarterbacks or this new philosophy that I've had that I have with paying quarterbacks 